Amen. Amen. How are you doing? Yeah. Four of us are doing good. That's awesome. Well, it's good to see you. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. And uh, let me just say, man, I'm so excited to be here with you today. Um, I have the opportunity to fill in for Pat today, who is at our Brussels campus. Um, you may not know this, but our Brussels campus is coming up on 10 years as a community um, that was launched out of this place. Yeah, you can put your hands together for that. It's exciting. And, uh, and so Pat's there. He spent some time with the staff team. He and Amy are loving on families there, just um, coming alongside of that community. And uh, by now, if I know Pat, he's found him. He's located a little peanut butter in, uh, in Brussels. He's settling in nicely. So y'all, y'all pray for him, but he'll be back next week. He wanted me to make sure you knew. Uh, next week, we will be kicking off a brand new series walking through the book of Colossians. So if you're like, um, and you like to get ahead, do some study around the text, um, our fall series we're kicking off with next Sunday is Colossians. We're calling this series Jesus Over Everything. And so we cannot wait. I'm so excited for that. Also, I'm excited to let you know a little bit about um, what's going on in the community that I get to pastor here at LifePoint. Um, our, uh, the church I, I, I'm I, uh, in the campus pastor of is our LifePoint Arrington campus, who today um, is celebrating our last service in our current facility. So we've been uh, since... February of 2021, meeting in a place called King's Chapel in the Southern Williamson County area. And we believe that through prayer and just God's just affirmation through many different avenues, he has led us to launch into a community just south of where we are called College Grove. And so next week, we no longer will be known by LifePoint Arrington. We will be LifePoint College Grove. And so we'll be meeting at 10 a.m. in an incredible facility. We have space to grow in. Uh, we believe that it, it better positions us in the kind of the heart of, uh, of a very known community that um, uh, the people that we're even reaching right now do life. And so um, we're so excited about it. I'm just going to ask you, uh, would you be praying for that? Be praying for us as we, uh, as we get ready to launch into that. Be praying that the doors would be swung open for the gospel, that relationships would be formed. Uh, and that uh, my prayer this week has been, God, would you make our church felt in the community that we exist? And so very, very excited for that. Hey, if you have a Bible, I want to ask you to grab that and go to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, a, a passage probably very familiar to most of us in the room. Um, and just kind of find your way there. And as you do, I want you to just put, it, put it, like, your finger in the passage and we'll come back to it here in a moment. Because I want to begin this morning by talking a little bit, reminding us about what happened on January 28th of 1986. Now, obviously, I wasn't alive yet to experience this, um, but I heard about it, okay, and uh, read about it, and, uh, and, and maybe some of you know this well. Um, this cold January morning at Kennedy Space Center, the Challenger Space Shuttle was sitting on a launch pad ready to blast off um, on a trajectory for the mission they had before. They were going to deploy some satellites. They were going to study Halley's Comet. Um, very famous shuttle mission actually had on board uh, a teacher in this seven-person crew. Um, this, this space uh, exploration had been... Um, uh, delayed over and over and over due to different circumstances. And um, the day had come for this launch to take place. And so at 11.38 a.m., um, we had liftoff. And the Challenger space shuttle just exploded off the, the launch pad with incredible velocity. It gained altitude quickly, began to go into its rolling sequence. Everything was checking out. And then 76 seconds into its flight path, the sky lit up with explosion and debris. I was uh, 
in, in my freshman semester at the University of Tennessee in an engineering class when my, um, my teacher walks in and she shows this video, the, the actual video of the launch uh, and the, the explosion. And once the, uh, the video cut off with the final words from the CNN broadcast where the broadcaster said, some things went terribly wrong. There must've been a major malfunction. The video feed cut. She walks over to the lights, flips them on, turns to an auditorium, about 400 engineering students and said, what happened? To which we all looked around. None of us were alive to see it. So, we, I mean, we didn't necessarily know, but there was a moment of silence there. And then she said, distraction. Distraction and oversight is actually what led to the explosion and the disaster of the Challenger space shuttle. Now she was making the point uh, that oversight in this class, distraction in this class will lead to your failure. And she was right because a room of 400 quickly dwindled down to just a handful of us in a few years. But the point that she was making about the Challenger explosion was not wrong. It was about oversight. It was about distraction. You see, because of the continual uh, delay that, uh, of this, this mission, the, the desire to get this shuttle into orbit, um, they, they pushed through a, a series of checks and there was uh, two small O-rings, two small gaskets or seals in the, in the right rocket booster that were uh, kind of overlooked. Although someone was uh, saying, hey, we, we need to check this. These could fail at cold temperatures. And the day that this, uh, this uh, this rocket launched, it was four foot icicles hanging from the catwalks. And so clearly there was a problem that was overlooked and it led to an exhaust leak, which led to in a massive explosion. Distraction, oversight led to failure. And the reason I share this story with you this morning is because as I begin to think about, and Pat asked me to come and, and speak in between our series on the Sermon on the Mount and what we're going to launch into next year, I mean, next, year, next week, sorry. I begin to think about just kind of the season of life I find myself in at home. The season as a campus, we're about to launch into a new facility at College Grove and really what's going on with season every one of, every one of us in this room we're in. We have students in the room right now who are about to step into hallways and launch into a new semester ahead. There's maybe students watching online today who have stepped into a college campus, moved into a dorm for the very first time, and there's so much ahead of you. I have a teacher at my house who's staring down a year ahead of, of school and, 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 and it was all the anxieties and the question marks that come with that. Some of you have moved here over the summer, and all of this is just very, very new to you. The reality is for most of us in this room, we could probably relate to the story in a way that we find ourselves in a situation where we're kind of on a launch pad of sort. Looking at new beginnings, looking at new opportunities, staring down new seasons, staring down new, uh, just new objectives in our lives that we're saying, what will this fall have ahead of us? And, and, and I just thought about this, this the, the, the message we can take from the Challenger Space Shuttle is that if we are not careful this year, it could be very easy for us to get going and to get moving and with great velocity launch into everything that this year has for us, all the, the objectives, all the goals, all the stuff. And if we're not careful, listen, I think we can get very, very distracted 
and miss the main thing that this entire thing exists for. And so today, what I want us to look at is these familiar words from the mouth of Christ. And as we're thinking about, man, what does this fall have? Some of you, again, like you've got new neighbors and a new home and a new career, and you're thinking like, or maybe it's whatever it is, situation you find yourself in. And you, you, you might be like, you've, you've got these things that you're just, you're, you're wrestling with right now, just in a few hours, you gotta get your kids on the bus or get your kids into school. And you got anxieties and things that you, you're concerned about. And, and, and I know that these things can easily grip us and move us and steer our minds in a thousand different directions. But if we're not careful, we can miss the main thing, which is the very last words that Jesus gave us in his life. So I'm gonna look at this together in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It says this, this is the word of the Lord. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, after Jesus went to the cross and he was resurrected in glory, putting God's stamp of approval on his son and validating every claim he made that he was indeed who he said he was. He had absorbed the wrath of God against sin for those who would believe. He had turned God's anger towards sin, towards delight in his people. Jesus was resurrected. And the scripture tells at the early parts of Acts that he spent 40 days with his disciples teaching them about the kingdom of God. It says actually speaking to them about the kingdom of God, which is interesting. You wanna know like, man, what, what, what was Jesus talking about? What was, he, what was he sharing with them? A very relational kind of space in that passage. It says that he spent time with his disciples for 40 days. And our passage this morning says that at some point he told the disciples, hey, meet me on a mountain in Galilee to which I will show you. And I just think it's interesting just for a moment here. Uh, th this jumped off the page to me a little bit that the last time we found Jesus and in the last two summers of the Sermon on the Mount series we've been walking through, we found Jesus seated on a hillside in Galilee, on a mountainside. You remember the, the opening parts of the Sermon on the Mount was after seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he had sat down, he opened his mouth, his disciples came to me and he spoke to them saying, right? And, and so Jesus is seated on a hillside in Galilee talking to his disciples about what it meant to be disciples. And then at the end of Jesus' ministry here on another mountain, he looks at his disciples and says, now go and make them. Go and make disciples. And what we find here in these final words of Jesus are his launch plans for the church. This is what we call the great commission this is God's plan A for reaching the world with the message of the gospel. And all of you are very familiar with this, right? This is God's plan, great plan for as Habakkuk says, covering the earth with the knowledge of Christ as the waters cover the sea. This is God's plan. 
that the church would be mobilized, that the church would be sent out to go and make disciples. This is what we, this is the plan that you and me exist for. This is what we've been called into. And so this fall, what I just want to do this morning is to say, if there's anything that we should give our lives to this year, if there's anything that we cannot overlook, that we cannot afford to be distracted from, it's this call to go and make disciples. And here's why this matters. Because this year you can get going. Listen, we can settle into new routines. We can survive the school year, just grit and bear it and get to the summer. We can make the money. We can, you know, decorate the house. We can have new community groups that launch out. We can do all the stuff and get to the end of not just this year, but the end of our lives. And like the last words of the pilot we have in in, in record from the Challenger space shuttle and find the words, uh uh-oh, labeling our lives that we've lived for, that we've given our energy to, that we've wrung ourselves out for the wrong things. And so the most important thing that we can do is make disciples. And so I've just got four things I want us to consider as we prepare to launch into this fall. The first one is this. We need to make disciples because it's our purpose. I wanna make it very pointed. It's your purpose. If you have air in your lungs today, the reason you exist is to make disciples. I wanna show you this in the word. Look at verse 19 and 20 again. The scripture says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This text is again, one of the most uh, probably familiar um, in our our bank of, of stored up text. But if we aren't careful, we can read this passage, we can memorize this, quote this, you know, put this on Hobby Lobby decorations all over our home, and we cannot just miss the point of the passage, but listen to me, miss the point of your life. You see, in in the English translations that we are reading from, there's a lot of, of action words in this text, isn't there? There's a lot of things, there's a lot of verbs that, that, that um, uh, make up this passage that we could be giving our lives to. There's a lot of things that we can get busy doing. But in the original language, there's only one. There's only one imperative here, and it is to make disciples. This verb here in the original Greek construction of this text is the central thing. It is the, 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 the central point from which all the energy of this passage emanates, and everything else finds its orbit around these two small words, make disciples. Everything else in this passage adds volume, color, and dimension to this. Everything else in this passage finds its point, finds its value from the main thing, and the main thing being to make disciples. It's as if the original language here is warning us today to not overlook these two small but very vital things in this passage, to not overlook the most important thing in the text. It's it's like it's beckoning us to consider that we can get real busy going on mission trips, uh, baptizing people, teaching classes, launching groups, planting churches. And look at me, all of those things are good. All of those things we're like, we are, we are behind 
and we give effort and energy and staffing and resources to. But listen to me, if we do all the stuff and we do all, we do all the things, we teach till we faint, we serve till we're weak, we hold the doors, baptize, sing till our voice is gone, incredible songs that we write here. But if we do not make disciples, and we allow the ministry of the church to distract us from the mission of the church, this whole thing ends in disaster. Jesus said, I have one thing for you to give your days to. That is making disciples. Making disciples. You see, heaven doesn't celebrate. It doesn't applaud. It doesn't uh, just have a, a standing ovation for budget increases and wet heads and you know churches planted. And all those things are great. You know what heaven erupts over? Every time someone bows their knee to Jesus Christ as Lord, who understands the call of the gospel on their life, who orders themselves under his lordship, who is, uh, who follows him in believer's baptism and then turns and calls other people to follow them as they followed Christ. That's what heaven gets excited about, making disciples. And maybe you're here and you're like, okay, man, I get that. But again, what is a disciple? And maybe you slept through the last two summers because Jesus told us exactly what a disciple is, right? Maybe you're just here for the first week and you just moved to this place. You're just checking this whole thing out. And you're like, okay, I'm really excited now. I get the point of my life, but what is a disciple? And how in the heck do I make one? This isn't what this sermon's about. You see, church to church, book to book, there's a thousand different a thousand different methods and, and programs, and we really complicate, really overcomplicate discipleship. But in case we need a little buffer, Jesus distills it down at the very end of this passage for us when he says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so what is a disciple? In a very pointed way, Jesus says, a disciple is one who is conformed to, who is surrendered to my lordship and conformed to my teaching. See, discipleship is overcomplicated, but it really in its essence is about conformity. It's about conformity to the person and the work of Jesus. You wanna be a disciple? Obey the teachings of Jesus from a place of surrender to the Lord Jesus. You, you want to go and make disciples, get some guys and girls in, in, your, in your group who, don't, who aren't as far along maybe in their walk with Christ and teach them the Bible and how to obey it. Not so that we gain right standing with the Father, but because we have it out of adoration for Christ. But this sermon, again, is not the how-to of discipleship. This sermon, and specifically the, the, the commission of Jesus, is about the why. Why make disciples? Why do we live sin? Why is that plastered on everything? Why do we go to such great lengths to make sure that the gospel is proclaimed and that disciples are made? Because it is the very purpose for our existence. The reason you are here today is so that you would know Christ as Lord and give every bit of your effort, energy, resources, talents, giftings, to making the name of Jesus known in and through you as you live your life to make disciples. That is the purpose of why you exist. Your purpose and our purpose as a church today is to make disciples. And that leads me to my next point. 
In what ability do we do it? How are we, how are we carried along as we give ourselves to this? This is the second point I want you to see. We make disciples because Jesus has all power. Did you see what he said there in verse 18? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus wants to just remind you of something this morning. That he is in control. Oh, listen, maybe right now you're in the room, you're watching online and and circumstances in your life have allowed you to drift away from this reality. This is uh, maybe something that you need to be reminded of. You've gotten a report this week. You got family situations going on, marriages in shambles, kids are rebelling. Jesus Christ is in control. He is Lord. This text, when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he's not saying, I have the capacity to be Lord. If you will just let me, he is Lord, whether or not we want him to be. He is Lord. He is in control. This text, uh, that word, all authority, I love it. Authority means force, power, or, or more importantly, dominion. What Jesus is saying is he is in control. You know, we typically go straight to the Great Commission and we say, go therefore and make disciples. And then we get busy going in a thousand different directions, don't we? We gotta start this class. We gotta launch this program. We gotta get busy serving. We gotta get busy going. gotta get my, my passport stamp. We gotta do all this stuff. But listen to me, you can't launch anything without the fuel to do so, can you? And Jesus right now is just dumping nitrous oxide into the church. He says, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. This is the power of the church. The power of Jesus is the fuel that moves and propels the mission of God along. I was reminded this week of Colossians 1. I know um, if Pat's watching online, he may be mad. I don't know if I'm taking something from a sermon next week, but Colossians 1, 28 and 29, I love this passage. A few years ago, our next-gen team memorized this because we wanted to remember that in the long days of camp and VBS and all the stuff that we do, who it is is actually in control. The text says, him we proclaim. Who's him? Jesus. Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You know what that is? Making disciples. In Jesus, we proclaim teaching everyone, warning everyone with all wisdom that we might present them mature, that we might make disciples who replicate themselves, who make disciples. For this, I toil. Look, maybe you serve in the church right now and and you would say that it kind of is characterized a little bit by toiling. (laughs) I'm a little tired when I get done holding those babies and chasing them around. There's kids and kids ministry and you, you come week in and week out and you pour yourself out or you're here. This morning I was here doing for run through and there's a thousand people doing a thousand different things. I'm so thankful for a church that serves in the way that we do. And if you're here and you've not yet jumped on board, we wanna invite you in. All right, serve, pour out. And look, he says, for this reason, this reason of making disciples, which is the purpose of your life. He says, I toil, look here, struggling. And here's a turn in the text. He says, with all his energy. Do you see that? He's like, man, you, you feel like you're to- toiling. You feel like you're pouring yourself out. You feel like you're just, you're wrung out for the gospel. He says, for this reason, I, I pour out 
with all the energy, Jesus's energy that he powerfully works within me. See that? Jesus says that the power that sustains and pushes the ministry and the mission that he's called us in along is not in your character and in your competency. Listen, Jesus' promise to build his church does not hinge on our capacity to do it. It doesn't doesn't hinge on our gift set. It, 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 It hinges and is built on and is fueled by the power of Jesus Christ alone and the authority that he has, his dominion, his lordship on heaven and earth. He is sovereign over all nations, all kings, all rulers, all powers, all authorities, all presidential seats, all political cabinets, all all, all medical reports, all financial statements. Jesus is sovereign over it all. He is in control of it all. All of it is in the palm of his hand. Jesus is saying, I am Lord church. Remember this. Before you get going, let's get a a grand vision of the person of Jesus. Who is Christ? Who is he to you today? Is he an add-on to the end of your week or is he Lord? Is he Lord? This is why Jesus can say earlier on in his gospel, you, you remember this in Matthew's gospel, he says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, what, on, on what rock? On, on the confession of faith, Peter, that you have looked to me as Lord, you have bowed your life under my lordship, under my authority. He says, because of your confession of who I am, you have seen me rightly, Peter. And on that rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, if you're like me, I've read this passage over and over and over. And I've commonly misunderstood it. You see, what Jesus is not painting a picture of is the way that I've understood this for many years. That church, I've promised that when you, when you, uh, uh, I've promised to establish my church on your confession of faith, and and I know things are hard out there, and I know that the world is going crazy, uh, but you just hold on and weather the storm because the gates of hell will not prevail over you. I mean, some of us, that's, that's what we see. It's like, man, you watch the news, you, you experience the world firsthand, and you're like, man, the, the gates of hell are collapsing in on me. I can, I can hear them shaking. The hordes of hell are ascending on us. And Jesus is saying, oh, just weather the storm. You will prevail. It's not what he's saying. See, church, listen to me. Gates don't move, do they? Gates don't move. What Jesus is not saying is that these gates are keeping something out or keeping something in. He's saying that the gates of hell won't prevail against the explosive power of the church sent. He is saying that every time a knee bows to my lordship, that disciples are made and the, the kingdom expands, the gates of hell will be blown off the door. What, what, what he's saying here is, is that I have shut the mouth of the enemy, that I have went to the cross and smashed the head of Satan, that I have, I have bound up the strong man. I've paid the debt of my people. I've silenced the accuser. I've mobilized the church to go and take what is rightfully mine. Jesus has all authority. What he wants us to hear this morning is that his commission is guaranteed. 
It's guaranteed. He's in control. He isn't trying to guilt us this morning into living sin. Saying, man, all authority is mine, so why aren't you going? It's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus isn't trying to guilt anybody. He's trying to gas you up a little bit. He's putting rocket fuel in your heart and mind to understand rightly who he is and what you've been called into. And I just want to stop just for a moment and ask the question, how would this fall change for you? If you began to realize who it is that Jesus actually is, that he is all powerful, that he is in control, that all dominion is his, that he is sovereign. Let me tell you a couple ways that would change. One, you might begin to open your eyes to see that maybe you got a job here and like the community that I pastor, we got families moving in from all over. So many Californians, people from Washington State, New York State, all over the country. And they've taken jobs, they've moved here. And I feel like what I'm always doing in, the, in, in this congregation is telling them, hey, look, you might've taken a job because you feel like you were promoted. You've got the job you have because Jesus put you here. You have the home that you have today, not because of your skill and your abilities and your hard work. You have what you have and the lot has fallen where it has because of who Jesus is. And so if you begin to open your eyes to see that you're not a realtor, You're a missionary with a captive audience for the sake of the gospel and making disciples. You're not a financial advisor. You you, you don't walk into Nissan just to punch a clock and get a check. No, No, you are sent for the sole purpose of making disciples and the mission field that God has given you is Nissan. It is the nurse the nurse station around you. It is your practice. It is your your clients. It is your school. It is your hallways. It is your huddles. See, Jesus is in control. And when we talk about around this church that we live, this is the air we're breathing. That we believe that Christ has all authority. That he's in control and that he is worth going for because that is the very purpose of our life. So we don't just go because he's empowered us to do so, but he also gives us some assurance along the way. Look what he says, look at my third point, which is this, make disciples because we've been promised his presence. You see what he says there at the end? There's a little tag at the end of the uh, passage that um, is incredibly significant. He says, go because the purpose of your life, go because I've sent you with my authority. And he also says, go because I promised I'm going with you. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, in every age, I am with you. It's as if Jesus now begins to um, anticipate all the questions and the concerns and the objections like Moses brings to God before he is sent to Pharaoh. I don't know enough. And it's gonna be uncomfortable. What if I'm rejected? This isn't natural. This doesn't feel, I I don't know. I've never done this before. How do I get get started? And right now you're you're hearing all this. You're like, okay, okay. So I, I understand, Matt, you're saying that my profession is actually the place that God has put me 
for his glory and for the purpose of making disciples. I understand that he's, he's empowered me to do it. And now you're telling me he's going with me. And, and, and why does that change anything? Because what Jesus wants you to understand is that as you go into the classroom this year, he's going with you. As you step into your workplace, he's going with you. As you engage those around you in your neighborhood for the sake of the gospel, he's going with you. As you go sit in ball fields, in, in, in football stadiums, praise God, it's coming back, right? As you go, he's going with you. But I wanna make sure you hear something. What Jesus is not saying, what he's not saying is I'm promising my presence for you so that you can sit on the couch and remain in your comfort. That's not the context of his promise that he provides of his presence. That's not the context. What Jesus is saying, the context of his presence, which comforts us in the mission of God is as we meet him in the mission of God. One of my seminary professors he, he said uh, in this class I was in, he, he said, I've got a, I know this is a weird illustration. He said, but go with me. I'm gonna ask you to do the same. He said, imagine that you woke up one day and you said, God, I wanna know what it feels like to get hit by a Mack truck. He said, what you would not do is come to the seminary, come to the church, grab a hold of the pulpit and say, Lord, I'm ready. Hit me. Why? because Mack trucks don't run down the aisles of the church. So if you wanna know what it feels like to get hit by a Mack truck, go lay in the four lane, right? Go lay down on I-24 and you'll find out quick. What's he saying? His point was that if we want to know what it feels like to have the promised presence of Jesus go with us, meet him where he's going. Meet him in where, where he's moving. Meet him in what he's doing. And Jesus is in the business of making disciples. He's in the business of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, starting with your workplace, going from there to the ends of the earth. And if we wanna meet that presence, we wanna experience Jesus's presence and the comfort of, of his nearness with us, we meet him in the going of the Great Commission. That's where we experience this. That's where we meet him. We find it in the path of his mission when we faithfully commit ourselves, our lives to making disciples, sharing the news that Jesus is Lord and that he has made a way for our sins to be forgiven. When we push away distractions in our life and live sent intentionally for the sake of seeing disciples made, Jesus says to you and he says to me, I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna be with you. You know, one of the things about this season that is... Uh, that's a, a change up in my life that is very new. This new season, I told you that we all find ourselves, this launch pad in my life is that I'm about to launch my five-year-old daughter into a hallway uh, of, of an elementary school for the first time. And all the CLC teachers, and maybe you're here, you don't know what CLC is. CLC is our creative learning centers where we do an incredible job of, uh, of just loving and training, discipling kids before we send them into uh, kindergarten. But uh, all my CLC teachers in the room know I love my girl, right? And this year's new for me that I'm not gonna be able to, just, every time she skins her knee, I'm not gonna be able to pick her up and, and love her, 
right? Like the helicopter can't circle anymore in the hallways of the school. I can't be there when she has, you know, a stomach ache and just wants daddy to hold her. And I can run down there and grab her and just, you know, reassure her and love her and all that kind of stuff. I'm about to literally send her on Thursday next week into school. She's going to be walking up and down hallways. And I'm just going to promise you something. Those boys better be nice. I have no problem doing jail ministry the rest of my life. I got no problem with it. They need Jesus in there too. But Jesus promises us, listen, as we go, no matter how difficult, no matter how much it costs us, no matter how uncomfortable it is, and listen, it's hard. It's hard. It is unnatural. It does expense you and your weekend and your time. There's no bones about that. But Jesus says that as you do that, as you pour out, I'm gonna supply everything you need. I'm gonna empower you. And I'm gonna be near. I'm gonna be near. I wanna close with a final point that I think um, may be the most important before we launch this year. We make disciples because it's the purpose of our lives. We make disciples because Jesus has empowered us to do so. We make disciples because as we go, even in the difficult, he says, I'm gonna be with you, I'm gonna be near, but we also, look at this, we make disciples because Jesus deserves all praise. Jesus deserves all praise. I'm gonna tell you just straight up, when I began to study this passage this week, the very first verse of of the Great Commission leapt off the page to me in in a way that I've never seen before. Uh, we, we've preached this passage. I've preached this passage in, in my ministry many, many, many times. I've read this in Bible reading plans. This is literally on the walls of my home. But I never started the Great Commission with verse 16. But verse 16 is so incredibly important to how we understand the reason for this entire thing. Look what it says. It says, now the 11 disciples went to to, to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. In verse 17, it says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. When they saw Jesus, they worshiped him. I want you to understand what Matthew is showing us here in his gospel, which is often overlooked by myself included, is that before the disciples were sent to go make disciples, before they launched into the ministry before them, they, they worshiped him. They worshiped Jesus. Before they ever got busy doing anything, before programs were launched and churches started and, and gospel was preached, there was a personal worship of Jesus. It took place. I believe what Matthew is downloading for us in this text is that making disciples begins and ends with worship. It begins and it ends with worship. There's a famous quote by John Piper. You may know this. He says, missions exist. The the going of making disciples exists. The reason we do it is because worship doesn't. The reason we have to go, the reason this commission is a thing is because worship doesn't exist. There are people around the world that apart from saving faith in Jesus Christ and see him as Lord worth giving their lives for, which is worship, 
Apart from that, they will spend eternity separated from him. And he says, this is the reason we go. And so I just think this morning, before we get launched into this year, there's just a really pointed question we've got to wrestle with. I think before I can convince you, before the text will compel you to pour out your life for the sake of making disciples, I think before you'll ever change up the way you view your professional uh, situation, your life, before you will ever step into a school this year, sold out for the mission of God, we have to ask the question, do I worship him? Is he my Lord? Listen, not just is he Lord, he is Lord, whether you come awake to that reality or not. But is he your Lord? Have you bowed your life to him? Do you worship him sincerely? The reason we are ascending church, the reason we have this conviction to live sin is because the Bible paints this beautiful picture of a day where every nation and every tribe and every tongue will confess that he is Lord and will gather around a throne to give praise to God. So we have this vision of worship at the back end of all of human history. But it, between this day that we find ourselves today and that day, we have to go and make disciples and we cannot afford to overlook this. We cannot afford to overlook and lose sight of and be distracted by the most important thing, which is making disciples. Missions exist because worship does it and missions begins today with our personal worship. We will not be passionate and compelled to give our lives to making disciples of someone that you do not personally worship as Lord. So can you imagine just for a moment today, what might be different about this fall if before we start doing all the seasons and running our kids everywhere and doing all the stuff that this year is going to require of us, before we get busy and all the ministry programming that is good and right, can you imagine what would be different if we would personally all say, God, I worship you this year. I'm going to step into this workplace. I'm gonna step into this campus. I'm gonna step into this opportunity with the worship of Jesus on my mind. And how would that radically change? How would that radically change everything? I wanna close with a story and the band's gonna come and I wanna read this story to you or I guess talk a little bit about the story to you. In the 1700s, there were two young men named John Dober and David Nietzscheman. And these two men learned about a group of uh, several thousands of African slaves on a Caribbean island. And uh, these slaves are being held by a, a slave master who was very cruel. He wouldn't allow any ministers, any missionaries to step foot on the island lest they bring their teaching, lest they bring this hope with them that would, that would lead in rebellion. And these two men were so compelled by the great commission call of Christ to go and make disciples, to pour themselves out for the sake of seeing people know Jesus as Lord and tell others about him. They were so compelled by the authority of Jesus Christ. They felt so comforted by the spirit of God that would go with them that they decided that the only way that these African slaves would understand and come to hear the gospel news by which they could be saved was through selling themselves into slavery, to live among the people for the rest of their lives in bondage. So these two men did just that. 
Story goes that they sold themselves into slavery and the day came for them to set sail from Copenhagen and leave their families behind. They're on the port there and they're on the boat and the boat begins to push away from the land and the families are sobbing, obviously. Disbelief, trying to understand all of this. Why would, you, why would you sure there's another way? And it says that one of the boys, it's the last recorded words we have from them. One of the boys turns and yells back at his parents just before they sail off into the mission of God before them. Turn and say back to their family, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward for his suffering. And then they went. And they lived amongst his people and they shared the gospel and they evangelized a, a people that had never had access to the gospel before. Many, many, many came to know Jesus Christ as Lord. And there was a movement that began on that island. Listen to me, I, I end that way today because what these boys were gripped by, what they were so un, like, compelled by, what had captivated their hearts was the reality that their days are not spent just simply to be comfortable and get from season to season and just survive a school year and just go to a nine to five and develop a career and climb a ladder and have the corner, uh, you know, the corner office and the house on the cul-de-sac and live a life of success and luxury where our names are lifted up in lights and we are made known. They understood that they could get to the end of that existence before they breathed their last life. I mean, their last breath of their life. Say, uh-oh. This was all for nothing. This was a wasted life. So what these boys did is they said, no. There's something infinitely more valuable for us to give ourselves to. And church, I just wanna to say to you, may that be true of us this year? Like, man, can we right now say in our heart, God, I want to begin this year with my personal worship of you. I wanna begin this year with my eyes locked on Jesus as the disciples were on that mountainside before they were sent out. They said, Jesus, you are worthy of praise. You are worthy of my life to be poured out. Whatever it costs us, we will go. Would that be your personal goal, your personal declaration, the banner you fly? I will go because it's my purpose. I will go because he's given me the power to do so. I will go because he's gonna be with me as I do. And I will go because he deserves all praise. Amen. I pray for you. Father, I love you. Dear God, I'm so thankful for this church. God, I love the vision of this church. God, I love all the things that we do and all the, the, the people who serve and all the, the, the incredible ministries that we have and the programming that we put on. Father, but I just pray that today, God, that we would not allow ourselves to be distracted. That everything that we do would have a tether and anchor back to the purpose of making disciples. The reason that we send missionaries, the reason 
that we do VBS, the reason that we have camp, the reason we exist as, as, a, as a staff team, the reason we recruit and we equip and we come alongside parents, Father, is for the sake of seeing disciples made, that your church would go forth, Father, that you would mobilize your people across this world so that we could take the only name, the one name above all names by which we must be saved. God, I pray that today, Father, if there's someone in this room who does not know you, God, before we can ever get going for you, Father, before we can ever be sent for you, Jesus, we must first surrender our lives to you as Lord. So God, we know you're, you're powerful, God. You're in control of this year. Father, I just wanna breathe hope over our our teachers and educators in the room, Father, that you are in control of the year ahead. God, all the families who've moved here from all over the country, God, you're in control of this. They maybe thought they were fleeing something or running to something, God, but no, you brought them here by your hand alone. Open their eyes to see the great existence you have for us. And would Jesus be made known in and through us for your glory. It's your name we pray, amen.